You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. You might think that this orangutan is washing socks as some kind of circus trick for which she's been specially trained, but not so. She is doing this entirely on her own initiative. She's seen others doing it and she's copying. And that ability to imitate, as well as to use tools, is something which started among monkeys, but has been brought to a much greater level among the apes. And those two talents were ultimately to lead to the transformation of the world. Hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I have once again failed to become an animal expert since the last time that we recorded. Unfortunately, sorry about that. <laughs> Today, we are going to talk about the orangutan. <laughs> but first, the news. This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, very recently, an extremely rare albino orangutan was located in Indonesia and rescued. She had been captured by villagers in Borneo, and she became dehydrated, weak, and she was suffering from a, a parasitic infection when she was rescued by the Borneo or- Orangutan Survival Foundation. And after days of special care, her appetite was improved, her weight increased by several kilograms, And the orangutan was given a name by the internet, which is always a dangerous thing to do because, you know, Bodie McBoatface. But the internet came through, and the name given to this orangutan is Alba, which is the Latin word for white. And she's a beautiful, beautiful animal. She is. I don't think there's anything wrong with Bodie McBoatface, though. Oh, I love Bodie McBoatface. Yeah. I would have liked to seen the other names that the internet selected for this orangutan. Yeah. I bet some of them were pretty dumb, though, so... Nah, never mind. I don't want to see. Forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, normally this foundation would just release a wild orangutan back into the wild after getting it back to to full health. But because Alba has albinism, her sight and hearing are compromised, and she is susceptible to skin cancer. So the foundation is raising money to build what they are calling a forest island. Mm-hmm. So that Alba can live out her life in a more natural and less cramped environment. And they need about $80,000 to do this. So if you want to help out, we will put the story in the show notes for today's episode. And we'll put a link there if you want to like give a little money toward helping Alba have a new home. And mm-hmm. uh, you can check that out at blazingcariboustudios.com. It's a really, really neat looking animal. She's an albino, so she has white fur and blue, blue eyes. She's really cute, but she's looking at the camera pretty doubtfully like, listen, bub, I'm trying to eat something here. You mind? (laughs) Trying to have my breakfast. (laughs) The paparazzi. I know, Alba. (laughs) Uh, They'll move on to Kim Kardashian soon, so 
It's all right. Oh, please don't. Please, no. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> well, how about a reminder? Let's do that. Hey, you sure. minions. I want you to go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram at Varmint's Podcast, all one word. And at Varmint's Podcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, suggestions. If you like the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave us a nice little rating and review. We also have a Pinterest board. Woohoo! Let's go and learn about orangutans. The kingdom of animals is fascinating. Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living pattern. So come on. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? We are blathering about orangutans today. The orangutans. I, I keep. I can't figure out if I want to say orangutan or orangutan. It's not orangutan. It's orangutan. But orangutan. Yeah, All people right. pronounce it orangutan. Because they do. Because <laughs> they do. <laughs> I might do both. I might slip back into orangutan once in a while. It's a melee word, so um, you know how does how to properly pronounce it? I have no idea, right? So I don't. I think David Attenborough figured out how to properly pronounce it at the beginning there, but I don't know what he said. I know he said orangutan, but he put his little uh, he put some little flair on it that that I couldn't quite pick up on. Hmm. Anyway, they are two exclusively Asian species of great apes. This is the first great ape we've gotten to talk about together. Yeah. They're native to Indonesia and Malaysia. Wild orangutans are currently found only in the rainforests of Borneo and Sumatra. Orangutans were considered to be one species until 1996 when they were divided into two species, the Bornean orangutan and the Sumatran orangutan. In addition, the Bornean species is divided into three subspecies. The name orang- orangutan, as you mentioned, and there's different ways to spell it. There's two words, there's one word, there's hyphenated words, there's a G at the end, there's not a G at the end. There's like five different ways you can spell orangutan. It's derived from the Malay and Indonesian words orang, meaning person, and hutan, meaning forest. And I always thought the orang part was in reference to the color orange, which they kind of are, but it's not. So they're called person of the forest, orangutan. Yep, it's a coincidence. It's one of those linguistic coincidences. It's kind of funny. So, Orangutans have large, bulky bodies, a thick neck, very long, strong arms, short bowed legs, and no tail, because apes don't have tails. Monkeys mm-hmm. do. Yeah. It's mostly covered with long, reddish-brown hair with gray-black skin underneath. Orangutans are sexually dimorphic, which we've talked about before. That basically means that it's really easy to tell the males and females apart by both size and appearance. So females typically will stand about 115 centimeters or about 3 feet 9 inches tall and weigh around 37 kilograms, which is about 82 pounds, while adult males stand 136 centimeters tall, which is about 4.5 feet and weigh 75 kilograms, which is about 165 pounds. They're a lot smaller than I thought. Yeah. And I've seen them in person, and I, they, they seem to, to be bigger when I saw them in person, but maybe it was, that was because of all the fur. And the males, they have these very conspicuous cheek things on their face. Yeah, the males have a moon face. Um, 
That's some sometimes called moon face, or and then the technical term I think is a flange, the the male flanges on their face. So you can everybody's seen the big male with the big round face. And for a long time, scientists thought that that meant that that was the adult male, and the rest of the males were immature. But then somebody thought, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> That completely doesn't make sense because we know that all these males were born at the same time. So how come they don't all have the big face, the cheek face? Um, it's because it's the sign of he's the most handsomest. He's declaring that he is the the number one orangutan. He's like, I'm the big guy. I'm the dominant male. I'm the most important guy. I'm the most handsomest. And all the ladies think so. And... It turns out that, yes, all the ladies like the moon face. They like the moon face better than than the other kind of males. So that's why they do it. But what's really interesting is that if a male is by himself in a in like a zoo or something like that, he'll develop it. He'll become the dominant, like, moon face guy. Even if oh, he's wow. So they out. just, when yeah. they become the dominant male, the, the, mm-hmm. they just start growing. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so does that mean they never start growing in some orangutans if they never become the, the dominant male? No. And that's the thing, is that if the male that's in charge, if he's the dominant guy, if he dies in a troop, or a little group, or are they called a troop in orangutans? I can't remember. But if he's the one, if he's the moon face area guy and he dies, then another male will develop the moon face and wow. take his place. So it is a sign of, I am the guy who's in charge. I'm the dominant male. I'm the most handsomest guy, and all the ladies love me. That's what that means. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah, the, the males, the it's not a maturity thing. It's, it's just a sign of, because uh, um, the other males can, they're perfectly capable of making babies, and they do, but they just don't make as many as the moon face guys, so... Yeah. Do, do you know what the name for a group of orangutans was called? No. This is great. And they're usually not in a group. They're they're fairly solitary apes. Yeah. But if they're in a group, a group of orangutans was called a clan, a congress, or a buffoonery. Oh. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> buffoonery. They're probably smarter than the people who thought that up. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the person who saw them. You know how they do that walk with their arms over their head? Yeah, They do that really goofy walk. That's probably where that came from. I'm just uh. guessing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they don't really... Yeah, I guess they don't really have a troop in the same way that chimps and, and gorillas and stuff do. But they're still... Like, the, the main male is still, like you know, thinking that he's got the most, he's got the most face bling. And so the ladies will like him the best and they pretty much mostly do. So, yep. And that's what that's about. That's nothing to do with age or sexual maturity or anything. It's just, he's number one and he's showing it with his big old moony face. (laughs) (laughs) And making a bunch of noise with a throat pouch. I, Mm -hmm. I, forgot to play this, but this is the uh, little clip of an adult male orangutan calling for a female up in the trees. This is really cool. Whoa! 
mutants do a I lot of that. construction work. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the orangutan equivalent of like Jerry Lewis? Hey, ladies. <laughs> uh, no, aside it's not. from humans, it's just it's not. It's not. It's just me riffing because animals don't. Stop putting human things onto animals. <laughs> <laughs> so, I always wondered why orangutans were that bright reddish-orange color. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Um, aside from humans, unfortunately, the orangutans' main predators are leopards and tigers, which mainly dwell on the ground. Uh, tigers can climb trees, but they aren't really all that great at it. And leopards are very good tree climbers, but... Orangutans are mostly arboreal, and they're really, really intelligent, and they're really agile in the trees. So it's very, very rare for an adult orangutan to get taken down by one of these two predators. But that orange fur winds up being like an added layer of protection, and scientists don't really fully understand why they're reddish-orange, but they are. So that orange-reddish fur, one theory is that it acts as a camouflage. Now... You're an artist, Donna, and, mm. and so am I. So you have green foliage on the trees, and you have this big orange-red orangutan climbing around in them. And, you know, you're familiar with the color wheel. Those two colors are nearly complementary. They're at opposite ends of the wheel. So you're in the Sumatran forest. There's green, 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 green everywhere until you look down and see that the ground and the water tend to be kind of a muddy orange color. So the sunlight shines down through the trees, it bounces off the water, it bounces off the dirt, and it reflects back up, and it gives the entire forest kind of an orange glow. If you add into this the dead leaves on the trees, orangutan nests are usually made out of dead foliage, and also several species of trees that, when they're younger and shorter, have reddish-orange leaves, and suddenly orange-red fur becomes the perfect camouflage for an orangutan. So if you're a predator on the ground and you happen to catch a glimpse of an orangutan, orangutan at all, you'll only get to see the silhouette of its body. They don't really stick out at all because the, the sunlight actually kind of shines through the fur as well. So you just see this black shadow of a thing well, hanging what around about up in the, the trees. What about adding in the, the thing that the predators are going to be pretty much colorblind? So... Like the predators are going to be red-green colorblind, so it's not really going to make a difference. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that was the thing I told us in animal behavior class to always think about is, like, what's the predator's vision like first? That's what you need to think about. And the idea was, yeah, maybe it's part of the camouflage because it does seem to make sense. But then if you think about the predators, I mean, the predators are, what, leopards and stuff? Leopards and tigers are the main predators. Well, those guys will be red-green colorblind, so, you know, I don't. I think I'd have to look at a picture of an orangutan in a, in a red-green colorblind filter and see how it looks, but maybe that doesn't stick out to them at all, right? So, but the other thing on the, that the scientists are wondering is if the color is not just, is also partially for camouflage, but also partially to announce themselves to the members of their own species because they are kind of solo. So, oh, know. yeah. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. So, all right. It could be a little of both. 
So I don't know. Now I really, yeah. I need to go into Photoshop and do a red, green, colorblind filter and see how it looks. Maybe I'll put one on the show notes and show people how it looks when you put it into that predator filter. <laughs> They're orange red for some reason, and usually we're a little more prepared for this. <laughs> so <laughs> well, why are they red orange? I don't know, man. I don't know either. <laughs> well, the scientists don't know, so how are you supposed to know? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> How oh, are you dear. supposed to be more prepared than people that have studied it for 30 years? Uh, I'm not an animal expert. <laughs> All right. Well, it's disclaimer time. The Varmints podcast knows that it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then we only really have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Uh, orangutans are smart like yeah. really we haven't talked a, about this smart of an animal for probably since ravens Mm-mm. nope like yeah, they're, right they're up as, there. as my wife would say they're wicked smart they're wicked smart absolutely i yeah. think on a scale of one to ten i gave them like an eight and a half but if you want to figure in style points i mean that they're they're i'll i'll spot them the point and a half they're easily a 10 orangutans <laughs> are amazing and awesome i think we haven't had an animal that's not a 10 in style, so maybe we need it over to rethink our <laughs> thing. <laughs> because the problem is that we like animals, so we're like, yeah, we like this animal. <laughs> we need to talk about an ugly animal. We need to talk about a smart, ugly animal to make us like really, really struggle with this segment one week. <laughs> yeah, but then we were talking about how style isn't always just your looks. It's like how you are. It's your way of being. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're just screwed. We're just always going to be like every animal is a 10. If and when we talk about hyenas, I'm thinking I'm going to give them a lower score. Mm. They're not all going to be 10s. I might disagree with you. <laughs> okay. That's my job on this show is to disagree with you, though. So <laughs> I love it. I mean, part of it. Part of your part of my job is to disagree because then it's more fun, right? It's not fun right. if we like agree about everything. Correct. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about pop culture and we're going to talk about a very famous orangutan, infamous orangutan in San Diego, and uh, also some stuff that scientists don't know about orangutans. But we'll do that right after this. Kia ora, I'm Jess, the host of the Kiwi Crimes podcast. Each week, I'll share a missing persons or murder case from New Zealand. I discuss cases that are well-known, as well as cases that you might not have heard of. Some cases will be recent and ongoing, others will be cold. A new episode or mini-sode releases every Wednesday. You can find Kiwi Crimes anywhere you get your podcasts. I hope you'll join me as I explore the crimes that rock New Zealand. Ka kite anō. And now for something completely different. Hey, you know, me and Donna, we're just a couple of nerds like you, and we don't see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk a little bit about where we see them most of the time on movies, TV, and video games. And I'm going to start with this little clip right here. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I want to be a man, man cub, a 
can stroll right into town and be just like the other men. I'm tired, I'm walking around. Oh, ooby-doo, I want to be like you. I want to walk like you, talk like you, too. You'll see it's true. And ape like me can learn to be human, too. Gosh, I love that song. That is from Walt Disney's 1967 animated musical film, The Jungle Book. Uh, unlike the majority of the adapted creatures in the film, Louie was not in Rudyard Kipling's original works. The writer for the movie was a guy named Bill Pete, and his original story for the film followed a little more closely with the book, and it didn't feature King Louie at all. It did feature a larger monkey without a tail who was perhaps meant to be the, the king of the monkeys, but... Pete left the Disney company because he had a dispute with Walt Disney regarding the contents of this, the script. So his ultimate vision for the king of the, the temple remains unknown. Hmm. So they developed the story after Pete left, and his story was really dark because it was based more on the book. The book, if you've ever, if you've watched the movie, and then you've gone and read the book after you've seen the, the movie, it's way darker. So Disney didn't want a dark movie. They wanted a lighter movie with some jazzy tunes, and then they introduced this character, King Louie. And he was voiced by a popular performer at that time named Louis Prima, who you just heard singing. Louis Prima considered playing King Louie as one of the highlights of career, and he felt that he had become immortal thanks to Walt Disney and the entire studio. So that was like a highlight of his career. He loved doing that. And that tune, that's just my favorite part of the whole movie, is that song right there. I was, I've been singing and humming it all day long. There was a live-action CGI Jungle Book movie in 1994. It was mm -hmm. not that great. And then there was a... I thought it was wonderful. Did you like it? Oh, you mean, oh, 94, sorry. The 94 no, one. the recent one. The 94 The recent one. one. I, I didn't even... Yeah, know. no, the recent one was good. The recent one's really good, so... Yeah, it's a live-action CGI, much, much better movie, and King Louie was voiced by Christopher Walken. Although yep. King Louie in this movie was not an orangutan. He was modeled after a now extinct great ape that was called Gigantopithecus. Mm -hmm. Because orangutans don't live in India and Disney wanted to kind of maintain a sense of, of accuracy, which is great. That's fine, but there's no reason for it. <laughs> don't do it the rest <laughs> no. of the time, so. <laughs> Basically, King Louie is the leader of a large army of monkeys in the ruins of an ancient temple. Yep. He, he has Mowgli captured and basically kidnaps him and because he believes that in order to be a human, you have to know how to make fire. And he thinks that because Mowgli is a human, he knows how to do that. So he tries to get the recipe for fire out of Mowgli. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bagheera and Baloo, the panther and the bear in that movie, they eventually rescue Mowgli and the temple falls down around King Louie. And King Louie is presumably dead. I don't know what happens to King Louie. I just know that the temple falls around him and on him and all over him and you never see him again. Yeah. Well, I got news for Disney, but that's not realistic either, so. <laughs> Which, what, what's not realistic? I mean, aside from everything, a talking bear and a talking panther and, well, and yeah, the kid not getting eaten. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Eaten. Like, they want to be realistic about it, you know. Well, they don't talk <laughs> and they don't, <laughs> they don't hold court in temples. And <laughs> uh, silly. Okay, so I'm going to talk about another Terry Pratchett character. Hee <laughs> hee. 
People <laughs> love it when you talk about Terry Pratchett. <laughs> he is a faculty member of the Unseen University. And so he must have once been a human wizard, right? So this is interesting and fun, and I think you should just play the clip and then we'll talk about him. Sure. Clip's about a minute and a half long, but it's Yeah, it's the clip's kind of long, but it's uh, it's... The wizard Rincewind has walked into the Unseen University's library and the books are all misbehaving. So that's that's (laughs) our situation. Okay. What did you say? Screamed Rincewind. Ooh. A magical accident in the library, which, as has already been indicated, is not a place for your average rubber stamp and Dewey Decimal employment, had some time ago turned the librarian into an orangutan. He had since resisted all efforts to turn him back. He liked the handy long arms, the prehensile toes, and the right to scratch himself in public. But most of all, he liked the way all the big questions of existence had suddenly resolved themselves into a vague interest in where his next banana was coming from. (laughs) It wasn't that he was unaware of the despair and nobility of the human condition. It was just that as far as he was concerned, you could stuff it. (laughs) Right. Rincewind, as honorary assistant librarian, hadn't progressed much beyond basic indexing and banana fetching, and he had to admire the way the librarian ambled among the quivering shelves, here running a black leather hand over a trembling binding, here comforting a frightened thesaurus with a few soothing simian murmurings. (laughs) After a while, the library began to settle down, and Rincewind felt his shoulder muscles relax. It was a fragile piece, though. Here and there a page rustled. From distant shelves came the ominous creak of a spine. After its initial panic, the library was now as alert and jittery as a long-tailed cat in a rocking chair factory. (laughs) The librarian ambled back down the aisles. He had a face that only a lorry tire could love, and it was permanently locked in a faint smile. But Rincewind could tell by the way the ape crept into his cubbyhole under the desk and hid his head under a blanket that he was deeply worried. I love that. Uh, so I'm on the Discworld Wikia, and you can go there and read a li- uh, an article about the librarian. But as it said in the clip, uh, he had a magical accident that turned him into an orangutan, and he's just completely refused to turn back ever since. So he, uh, in appearance, he has the rubber sack filled with water look of a well-ground 300-pound male. He has not, however developed the overlarge cheek pads that are a feature of the dominant male orangutan because, as an ex-officio member of the university faculty, he quite rightly regards the arch-chancellor as the dominant male. (laughs) 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 Ah. So, it says, uh, very soon people forgot how the librarian looked as a human or what his given name was, though the latter is true for most other faculty members as well. This was helped along by the librarian methodically removing, defacing, or otherwise altering any and all photographs and records of his name in the university files, and by the constraint or constant infighting at the university, especially during the brief but terrible reign of Coin the Sorcerer, resulting in the demise of a considerable number of such wizards as had known him as human. So. <laughs> <laughs> The librarian utters, all the librarian ever utters is ook or eek, but now the wizards, and especially Rincewind, are also used to this, that they understand him perfectly. <laughs> and they can even translate the merest ook into full-fledged literary English sentences. So, 
Oh, he's a member that. of the Librarians of Time and Space, and he has the understanding of the power of L space and has used these powers to appear at certain times to ensure the safety of particular books bringing home bringing them home to his precious library at the unseen university so l space is short for library space it is the ultimate portrayal of terry pratchett's concept that the written word has powerful magical properties on the disc world and that in large quantities all books warp space and time around them. <laughs> the oh, principle wow. of L space revolves around the singing, seemingly logical equation. Um, it basically is knowledge is power. Books equal knowledge equal power equal force times distance divided by time. <laughs> 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 so he has that magical power and that's why libraries seem to contain more than they, than they physically can and stuff like that. It's a really interesting, um, literary concept that he plays with all the time and it's really fun so the librarian oh. amazing really i love fun. that that is great He's... i gotta get in more into that universe yep they're all on audiobook except for the uh, color of magic which is somehow not available at audible for some reason which is the first one and i don't know why but there you go so cool the librarian Ooh. oh i i just i almost don't even want to do this segment i like to eat I like to eat too, but I cannot even mm -mm. imagine eating an orangutan. Nope. Oh, no. No. Move along. Nothing okay. to see here. No. <laughs> hey, Donna, is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you don't sound too sure. I'm not confident about it today. <laughs> Why don't well, you do me a favor and put some more facts in there? That'll help. All right, fair enough. Let's attempt to help everybody win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the animal fact of the week. Is this your homework, Larry? Look, man. Dude, it... please. Ken Allen was an orangutan who was born in captivity at the San Diego Zoo, and he was put in a cage because when he was little, his mother tried to smother him and, and kill him, hmm. unfortunately, because sometimes animals, they do that. And I love it when people give animals people names. Like, that's my favorite thing ever. So the orangutan's name was Ken Allen. Right. I had a friend who had a dog named Henry Rollins one time. I just, I thought that was the best. My friend Phil's got a cat called Meow Setung. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So back to Ken. When Ken was an adolescent... He would regularly unscrew the bolts of his cage and he would explore his nursery at night. And then in the morning, he would put it all back together before his keepers arrived. Oh On gosh. June 13th, 1985, Ken Allen climbed over a retaining wall. He walked down toward a public path and he just walked around with the tourists. He was looking at the other animals in the zoo. He was spotted by staff who, of course, escorted Mr. Allen back to his exhibit. And then they beefed up secu security by adding another four feet to the retention wall that he climbed over, and they built a moat around his his uh, exhibit. <sighs> a few weeks later, Ken got out again, and this time he got out and he headed toward the exhibit where another orangutan named Otis lived. Otis used to be his penmate, but they weren't getting along, so that they they had to move Otis out. So they found Ken chucking rocks at Otis. So right. they, they, they gathered up Ken and they put him back in his enclosure again and they tried to, to reinforce it again. So about another month later, 
Ken finds a crowbar in his enclosure that his keeper had left behind when they were trying to beef up security. So he tossed the crowbar to another orangutan named Vicky, who used it to pry open a window, and then Ken was able to escape through the open window again and wander around the zoo. So (laughs) now Ken was put in maximum security. There was an indoor pen with a security camera and a black and white TV with one channel that he stayed in for a while, while zoo staff made even more security improvements to Ken's exhibit. And so what they did was they surrounded the wall of the moat with electric wire, and they hired professional rock climbers to identify every single handhold and foothold. And then they <laughs> they coated those over with cement so there was no place for Ken to, to hang on and, and climb out like Spider-Man, like he was doing. Hmm. So they put Ken back in his enclosure everything for about two years went really really well until until the uh the pump in the moat something happened to it and the moat ran dry huh and that enabled ken to get out once again and um again he just walked around the zoo he looked at the animals he had his picture taken with tourists he was shaking hands he was having a great old time it was funny because the zoo workers he wouldn't act up when the zoo workers were around. So the zoo workers would pose as tourists and they would wear tourists' clothes. But Ken was smart enough to know who the zoo workers were and who they weren't. <laughs> so he was like, oh, that's just Dave dressed like a tourist. You know? Well, duh, they're not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so now what do you do with Ken? So... They figured, well, he's going to escape either way, so maybe we need to put something in the enclosure to to distract him. And what better thing to distract him than a couple of female orangutans, right? Mm-hmm. Well, those female orangutans became his students. And at different <laughs> times, all three of them escaped and walked around the zoo. They found a large squeegee at one point that a window washer left behind that was about five feet long, and they used that to climb out of the enclosure. Oh and it said gosh. that that guests at the zoo would cheer them on as the keepers would go running after them to return them to their exhibits. (laughs) Ah, that's funny. (laughs) There were a total of at least nine escapes. The zoo spent around $45,000 in various types of security measures to keep Ken in his enclosure. Eventually the escape stopped and Ken got old and he just was content to sit around in his enclosure and give people the middle finger because that is something that he also learned how to do. At the zoo. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there is a statue at, of Ken at the San Diego Zoo because he died in the in uh, the year two thousand at the age of twenty nine. He had cancer, Aww. and uh, he is immortalized at the zoo as a statue. He's a legend. Ken Allen Aww. is my hero. Ah, he deserves to be a legend. <laughs> and there's a there's a news article that we'll put in the show notes with a nice big picture of Ken sitting there giving whoever's taking the photograph the finger. Oh, that's awesome. It's great. It's so fun. <laughs> Excellent. That's neat. That's cool. So we did talk about just a little bit about stuff that people don't really understand about orangutans. Yeah. Uh, their color is, is one. It's number one of the things that they just aren't super sure why <laughs> okay um so the second thing is how long orangutans live in the wild so basically they can only kind of guess in captive environments or orangutans have lived for over 60 years the study reporter that i'm reading said that wild females at their study site 
who were adolescents in 1971, are still alive today and bearing offspring. A formerly captive female in her 40s recently had an infant, so their guess is that wild orangutans may live into their 70s, but they think that's probably rare. But nobody really knows. Um, How far do orangutan males travel in their lifetime? No idea. They travel, travel greater distances than the females, but they may wander for hundreds of kilometers away from their mother's homes, home ranges. In the space of one year, an adolescent male traveled a distance of more than 30 kilometers as the crow flies. So they really they have a huge range. And I think that's one of the things that people don't understand about saving them is that they really need so much space. So, um, yeah. So, and then uh, the next thing is, were orangutans ever more gregarious than they are now? And they think that's possible. So, ex-captive individuals associated with rehab programs tend to be more gregarious than wild orangutans. So, if wild populations lived in fertile lowland areas with abundant concentrations of food, the article says they might have been more gregarious. Since humans have destroyed such forests to use land land for agriculture. So sociable orangutans, if they ever existed, are long gone. So who knows, right? Huh. Come on, humans. Tighten it up. Will they escape extinction? Unknown. Massive destruction of the orangutans' habitat, the tropical rainforests of Borneo and Sumatra, is catastrophic. And they mean that. Like, there isn't a word that's stronger than what's happening to them. So... They're working to save the species and the habitat, but the forces that are arrayed against the orangutan are so formidable that perhaps if we and they are lucky, just one or two populations may survive. They are severely endangered. So we still don't know if we can save them. So we'll see. Well, I hope so. Sorry, sorry to end on a sad note, but that's just that's one of the things that they don't know. So <laughs> Yeah. And if your yeah. local zoo has orangutans, go and enjoy them and watch them and, and support your zoo. Yeah. Because they do a lot for conservation and and education. Yep, yep. A lot of of stuff needs to be done to save the orangutan, and we still may not do it, but we'll sure try. Sure try. We have to, because orangutans are awesome. They're a neat varmint. I think they might be my favorite of the great apes. Really? Yep. I think if I had to choose a favorite, it would be these guys. Hmm. Love them. They are awesome. And it's hard to choose a favorite because I like all of them, but man, orangutans, really, really cool. I think I would choose bonobos if I had to, was pressed to pick a favorite. <laughs> we'll have so to talk goofy. about them someday. We will. We will talk about bonobos because they are really cool. But I think orangutans are amazing. They're all equally cool. If I was forced to pick a favorite, I would, but eh, <laughs> I'm not going to do it because I won't because they're all amazing. <laughs> and I want to save them all. Let's save them all. <laughs> They're ours. They belong to our planet. We should save them. I agree. They're wonderful. <laughs> hey, the Varmints Podcast is brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo and music by Kevin McLeod, as always, and by you, the Patreon supporter. Thank you so much for kicking in a dollar or two every month to pay for the bandwidth to make sure that uh, we keep bringing this podcast out to you. We really, really do appreciate it very much. This week on the Rugrat Corner, we have Josh. Josh has something to say about orangutans. And the other voice that you're going to be hearing is Stacy. And Stacy is from the Rough Giraffe podcast, which... Look, if you're not listening to the Rough Giraffe podcast... You haven't lived. 
I was going to say completely obsessed with it right now. So. I was going to say you might want to rethink your life, but I thought I think that might be a little bit strong. Just go listen to the Rough Giraffe podcast, and, and here's Josh. So I'm here with Josh. Say hello to Donna and Paul. Uh, hi, Donna and Paul. And Josh is going to tell us what he knows about orangutans. What do you know about orangutans, Josh? Well, I don't know much about them, but I have been close to one in a zoo uh, in uh, Tenerife, which is in Spain. What colour are orangutans? They're orange with, like, super dark grey. Where's the grey? It's on their face. Yeah. And on their feet and arms. Are they funny? Um... Some of them were, yeah. Are they big? I say the size of you. Of me? Yeah. Do you think I'm big? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And do you know where orangutans come from? I'm thinking forests, like rain, uh, rainwood forests. Yeah, and they where do they live? Well, they don't really have a home, but they build... A nest to raise their young, and as soon as their young are born, they uh, destroy their home and then move on to uh, find a new home. Would you have an orangutan as a pet? A baby one, yes. As soon as it goes into teenager stage, it's out of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Would you eat an orangutan? Depends if I was in the desert or and I had um, only to choose it if I had to. Why would the orangutan be in the desert? <laughs> I don't know. You just said they live in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You and an orangutan buddy out in the desert, and you're going to eat him. <laughs> anyway, say goodbye to everyone. Bye. <laughs> oh, that was great. Thank you so much, Josh and Stacy. Appreciate that. And say hi to mum. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Daisy. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a fun guy. I hope you come back. That was awesome. Thanks, everybody, again for listening. And until next time, be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.